Have a look at Proverbs 4, 20, 21. First look at verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Attend. What does attend mean? It means to prick up the ears and to hearken, to heed, and to give attention to. That's what I'm talking about. To hearken, to prick up your ears. Everybody got an ear pricker? Come on. <laughs> incline your ears. That word incline means to stretch or to bend toward stretch reach out you know when the runner's running he stretches for the finish line Amen. stretch your ears to hear the word don't just sit there and go oh god i'm so tired and then you just forget about everything and then you say what reverend greg my belly full warm and tired i just want my bed you got to stretch your ear you got to you got to attend you got to incline you got to you understand there's a there's an aggression to that there's a I, i'm not just here i'm here to receive something and when you incline and stretch your ear now look at the next verse with this these the my sayings which is the word let them not depart from your eyes that means after you've read it tonight read it again and and uh, and keep them in the midst of your heart what does that mean meditate on it don't just listen to it and forget it. Meditate on it. And maybe it might be a good idea, not that I'm a great preacher, but the word is a great word, to listen to it again tomorrow. Now watch. For, this is the condition. You've got to do the first two verses. Then verse 22 works. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. But you've got to incline and stretch. Then you've got to keep it before your eyes and keep it in the midst of your heart and you'll see it will be health to all your flesh. Amen. Praise God. Amen. amen. Taylor, I'm expecting a lot of amens from you tonight to carry this crowd. All right, I haven't heard very many from you tonight and I'm not happy. I'm already started and I'm not happy. So I want to hear some. Let's try it right now. Amen. amen. Okay, good. Now, Genesis chapter 15, you're not paid for the work you do, brother. You're paid to say amen. Have a look at Genesis 15, please. And look at verse uh, number 9. Verse 7, sorry. And, uh, and about this is God and Abraham. We've read this before. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. In other words, I brought you here, Abraham. I'm going to give you this land. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know it? Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? In other words, how can I really trust you? That's what he's saying. God says, I'm going to give you the land. And he says, how do I know it? I'm not trying to insult you, God, but I, I just, I know a lot of people have said things to me and they haven't worked out and people have broken their word to me. He's just like us. Now, I know you're God, but I need to know how can I truly take you at your word? And so what, does, what happens? We won't read the whole chapter because we've read it before, but what happens? God cuts a covenant with him. And look down in verse 18. In the same day, the Lord, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. What, was, what did we just read? He said, I'm going to give you this land. How do I know? He cuts covenant with him. And he says, Unto your seed I've given you this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So this is how, this is God's way of showing you that he means what he says. When he says, I've come in covenant with you, that means you can take him at his word and you can take it to the bank. It's more guaranteed than the check you get from your company. If God, covenant God, tells you something, it will work for you. And I'm not really getting into all the issues of the covenant because we've already done that. We did three parts of that, do you remember? And then we did the covenant names. Anyone remember Yehovah Machalech? You didn't remember that one, did you, Jennifer? The Lord God strong and mighty in battle. You didn't remember that one. How come you didn't remember that one? Okay. <laughs> remember, I gave you all the names last week. This is a, these are our covenant names. Praise God. But I want to, the Lord prompted me and said, I want you to talk about the sin of worry tonight. Because covenant is the solution to worry. You say, I didn't know it was a sin. Well, have a look over in the book of Romans for me, please. Chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not in faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In other words, you got to do things out of a heart of believing and out of a heart of faith. And if you don't, it's, it's not going to work out right for you. And God right here says, if it's not of faith, it's sin. And we know the opposite of faith is worry and fear. 
So when you fear, it's not, the people don't really understand this. It's not just that you're choosing to do something a little bit amiss from God's plan, but he doesn't really mind. That is how people justify things all the time. It's okay to say a white lie. And by the way, I'm, I don't think it'll be this Sunday, but it'll be next Sunday. God told me, I want you to preach a sermon about lying. And I got a dynamite sermon for you. So all you liars, you better show up. And if you're, and if you're not a liar, you better show up too. So you don't become a liar. And we're going to separate the congregation. Liars are in this section. Non-liars are in this. White liars are in this section. And gray liars are over on that section. I'm just kidding. We're not separating the congregation. If you're a liar, just, stay, keep, just say amen as often as you can. And nobody will know that you're a liar. Because I think everybody, including myself, are guilty of exaggeration or under-exaggeration. And exaggeration is lying. And God wants us to be people of our word. And I'm going to teach you from the Bible how if you, don't, if you lie, your faith won't work for you. And I'll show you, I'll prove it to you from the scriptures. A lot of people are trying to make confessions, but they're lying about a lot of things in their life. And they wonder why their faith doesn't work. So it's very important. How did I get on that, Taylor? See, you weren't paying attention, brother. I don't I have no idea how I got on that, and neither do you, because you don't know my mind. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Anyway, I don't know what I was talking about lying, but we got to be people that tell the truth, okay? I don't know how we got into that, but that's fine. You need to come, because you need to hear that. Your faith needs to work, and we need to be people of our word. And, and whatever, whatever is, is, and whatever is not, is not, and we just call it that way. Praise God. But whatever is not of faith, whatever we're not doing in confidence before God, whatever is not of faith, the Bible says is sin. So fear and worry is a sin. That's where I was going with that, Reverend Taylor. A lot of people, they'd say a white lie and they say it's okay. They justify it. Well, it's a really, it's okay. God doesn't mind. So then it's no longer sin to them because God doesn't mind all of a sudden. So then you understand that's how you get your seared conscience. But you got to look at the word, not what other people tell you is okay. Just like any kind of lying is a sin to God. There is no white, gray, black, or purple. It's all the same. Now, any kind of worry is a sin to God. It doesn't matter if it's a big worry because you could lose your house, but that's justified because it's a big concern or a little worry because the gas price has gone up, but it's a little worry. God doesn't really mind because it's small or God doesn't really mind because this could ruin my life. You know, a lot of people have these justifications. It's okay to stress and to think about things because either it's really small or it's really big. Anything in the middle, we know we shouldn't worry about it. But if it's really big, don't judge me because of course I'm going to worry. Do you understand? Or if it's really small, leave me alone. It doesn't really matter. It's like a white worry, like a white lie. Do you understand? And there is no worry that is acceptable to God. And, I, and I've been testing myself over a number of months to, to check myself when I'm thinking about certain things, how often I'm thinking about it. And it's amazing, but you actually have to like be your own sergeant major. If you don't actually do that to yourself once in a while. Nobody else probably is going to do it to you, for you, because nobody knows what's going on in your mind. Your spouse or friend or, or, or partner may hear what you're saying in your confession, and they may kind of say, hey, you know, watch what you're saying. But that's just what they're hearing. They don't know what's in your heart and what's in your mind. They don't know what you're meditating on daily. They can only hear what you say. So they can't even hold you accountable is what I'm saying. Truly, only the Holy Ghost can hold you accountable. And so the Holy Ghost, because he's the only one that knows the internal dealings of the heart. And so months ago, he said, son, I want you to start being your own sergeant major. What does that mean? You know, when you got to, in the military, there's somebody that kind of holds you, holds you to the rules. Do you know what I'm saying? They don't let you get away with anything. I want you to not let yourself get away with anything. Like a self-imposed system of regulation. And I want you to watch and, and document what you're thinking about. Now, that's a fascinating study <laughs> of yourself. And you may not like all the answers that you're seeing and all the statistics that you're noticing because I started really thinking because, you know, like sometimes we're not thinking about nothing. We're just blank. Some of you are more blank than you should be. But that's okay. It's okay just to be blank sometimes. Some of, some of us, we're just thinking about the bluebirds and about the mountains, and we're just wanting to, we're just thinking about Julie Andrews. The hills are alive with the sound of music. And that's all you think about. I don't know why, but some people, that's what they think about. Other people are thinking about, they're just thinking about stuff. They're not thinking about anything, not ungodly, and it's not godly, it's just stuff. 
Julie Andrews is just stuff. She's not godly or ungodly. She just sings bluebirds and whiskers on kittens. There's nothing wrong with that, Reverend Taylor. I know it's your favorite movie, brother. It's okay to watch it, just not every week. Make some adjustments on that. Also, the Sharknado movies are full of devils, so I want you to stop watching that too. Internal, internal joke, I'm so sorry. Some of us are not thinking about much, and that's not necessarily worrying. We're just thinking life, and you're, you're just daydreaming. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't do it in excess. You're just thinking about nothing things. You're blank. You're not thinking about anything. Hopefully, you're spending some time thinking about God. Hopefully, you're thinking some time thinking about His Word. But I tell you something. If you are your own sergeant major and in, in force upon yourself a discipline of statistical analysis... What am I thinking about? And actually consciously check yourself and then document it because you won't remember if you don't write it down. Because you think about so many different things. So I just started to kind of mark down thinking about this. And I just, not a long thing because you don't have time to write a long thing. But just like one, one, one or two words, thinking about this. And I write that down. And then, you know, then I'm going about my day. I'm thinking, and then I come back and I'm thinking, I'm thinking and I caught, I caught myself because I'm my own sergeant major for the day. And I caught myself and I'm like, hmm, okay. So I wrote it down, thinking about this. But I didn't even write the word. I just put a little ditto, like the little lines. You know, when you do that, it means it's the same as what you have above. And then later on, I, you know, I thought about writing something else and write something else. And then I caught myself thinking about that again. And, I, and, I'm, not, and I'm not worried, Reverend Sandy. I'm not stressed. I'm not fretful. But I, so I wrote it down and thinking about this. And it's the same word as what it was four things up. And I was surprised at the end of the day how many entries I had made thinking about that thing. Because if you had said to me, uh, if James had said to me, Pastor, I'm prophesying by the Spirit today, you will think 17 times about this situation. I'd say, give me a break. Of course I'm not going to do that. But it was. But I don't even feel like I'm worried. But I started to say, why am I thinking about this so often? And the Holy Ghost started to help me with something. I'm not just teaching the Bible. I'm also teaching you experience because you need both. And he started to say, son, you, what you are thinking about the most is what you're meditating on. That is meditation is, is constant mulling over and thinking about it, things and muttering to yourself. You don't have to mutter necessarily, but you're, you're thinking, you're, you're meditating on something. And he says, now, what was the subject of that thing that you've written down all these times? Was it, was it something that was you rejoicing over? Was it something you're believing me for? Or was it something you're concerned about? And I said, Lord, I'm not worried. But this is something I'm concerned about. And I'm trying to help you. You don't think you're worried. Your definition of worry does not fit this equation. But you're thinking regularly throughout the day about a situation that is not a pray, you're not praise, you're not thinking about something that you're praising God for. You're thinking about something that you're, that is a little bit of a problem, a little bit of a, a bump. Yeah. It could be a molehill, it could be a mountain, it could be somewhere in between, but this, it's a situation. Can we put it that way? It may not even be a problem, but it's a situation. And you're thinking about that. And the Lord said, now you, you, by your definition, you're not worried about that because you don't feel the emotions of worry. But the fact that you're thinking about it 17 times in the day means you're meditating upon that concern. And meditation upon a concern is not faith. Meditation upon a concern equals worry. You don't feel worried because there's a certain feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you're really afraid. That is the extreme version of worry, but that is just the heightened version. There are many lower versions of worry that don't initiate that kind of an emotional upheaval and a sense of dread and a, oh my God, you, you know what I'm talking about. When you get that sense of dread, that's the extreme version of worry. That's PhD level worry. But you can still be in kindergarten and be worried and not even feel dread, not feel sweating, not really feeling afraid, but you are meditating on a concern constantly and you may not think it's constantly. Check yourself. You'll see how often you think about it. Meditation on a concern, a problem, something that is not working. Meditation on that, which you can do if you're your own sergeant major, you realize how often you do it, is a measure of worry even in the lower phases of worry, but it's still worry because you're giving attention to it. What is worry? Giving attention to something that you are trying to solve. Are you listening? 
if you're writing notes, that is the field version, which is better than Webster, that is the field version of worry, giving attention to something that you are trying to solve yourself. You know that you're trying to fix it and you keep thinking about it and you keep thinking about it and you keep thinking about it. And to a, that is a measure of worry, even if it's the lower phase. Now, the worse it gets, the more emotions you get, the more physical symptoms you get. But just because you don't have the symptoms of the dread and the sweating and the cold sweats or the upset stomach or diarrhea, and I'm not trying to be vulgar, I'm saying people, when they get, I mean, it affects your entire bodily system. People get headaches over it. They get insomnia over it. They get ulcers over it. They've even proven that if you worry about things, it produces cancer cells. People get cancer over it. It might not be that far, but if you are meditating and giving your thoughts and attention to something that you are trying to solve and it's a problem in your life and you're thinking about it regularly, that is a form of I'm trying to solve this, I'm trying and I'm thinking about it, my mind keeps going there and what God is trying to say is that is not the way of the life of the Spirit. It's not. But most people don't notice it because they don't take themselves by the scruff of the neck and they don't really check what's going on in their thought life. They just let their thought life kind of waft on and run free and you know what I mean? They just let it go. But they're not really governing their thought life. If you govern your thought life, you'll find that you think about a lot of things more than you think you do. So I challenge you. Obviously, there's no one checking on you. This is just if you want to do it. It's up to you, but it will help you if you do. Be your own sergeant major. Just try it for a day. Try it for a week. It'll shock you. How many times you think about certain things? Now, if you are constantly thinking about things that you're saying, oh, my God, thank God. I mean, if you catch yourself going, glory, hallelujah, write it down. Because now you're meditating and giving God praise and glory either for something he's already done or something that you're believing in that he's going to do. Now, that's a meditation of faith, and that pleases God, but meditating on the problem, meditating on the thing, even if you don't have a physical symptom, even if it's not the higher measure, even if it's kindergarten, if you are giving your attention to something that is concerning you, and you are trying to fix it on your own, that is worry, and it is a sin, and the opposite of that is covenant, because when you understand covenant, you understand, I am not in this fight alone. Right, yeah, amen. You are so used to feeling alone. You are so, especially if somebody left you, if you've had a bad relationship, marriage or otherwise, and somebody has left you and abandoned you and hurt you, there is a sense of, I got to fight. I got to make this alone. Can I be very, very uh, transparent with you? My mama is a great lady. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have this church today. I really mean that because she, she watched over me and took care of me and helped train, train me in the right way so that I would stay, I would stay on the straight and narrow. Do you understand? But not everything has gone the way that she would have preferred it in some of her relationships. And so I've had my natural dad, and then I've had a stepfather in South Africa, and then another stepfather in Canada. Three different marriages. And without realizing it, it took the Holy Ghost to be my counselor. I don't have to pay $900 an hour and go and sit with some Freudian demon-possessed psychiatrist. I don't have to do that. If you want to do that, spend your money. But you've got the genius called the counselor. He's called the ultimate psychiatrist living on the inside of you. And he doesn't have a darkened mind. You study what these people like Freud and and all these people, what they believed was totally perverted. Men having sex with their mothers. I'm telling you, it's, it's nonsense. And that has darkened their thinking. And now they're trying to tell you your problems, but they're going to darken mind themselves. It is a shame for Christians to have to go to darken sinners for help when you've got the counselor on the inside of you, when you've got a a, a waiting service to come and kneel and pray, and when you've got a pastor that will meet with you in the spirit. You don't need any other help. If you want to take it, I'm not telling you not to, but I'm just saying there's a higher way. So it wasn't a psychiatrist that showed me this, but it was over time the Holy Ghost showed me this, and he started to show me something, and he said, son, you're, you're a workaholic. And I said, no, I'm not. My wife has been saying that for years, but I don't listen to her, so. <laughs> Wasn't paying much attention to what she said to begin with. No, Hudson, right, Taylor, write it down. That's bad. That's not a good thing. Listen to Corinne. Amen. We should listen to our wives because they're here to help us. Wives, you should listen to your husbands because they're here to help us. They're not here to dominate you, and if they are, then slap them a few times with the iron skillet, and they'll learn pretty quick not to dominate you. 
okay? But my wife had said that for a long time and I, di and I disregarded that. I, I said, no, that's not true, that's not true. And so she kept saying it to me. She said, you, can't, you don't know how to have fun. You don't know how to relax. You're always working. It's like you're driven. So I, I said, well, Lord, I'm sure she's wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go and seek you about, I'm going to ask you about this. So I started talking to God about it. And I said, Father, we know she's wrong, but just tell me she's wrong so I can tell her. And there was silence. So I said, Lord, I know you're just waiting for the right time to tell me that she's wrong, but just go ahead and tell me whenever you're ready. And there was more silence. So finally, when I stopped saying, Lord, tell me she's wrong. And I just said, talk to me, Father. The Lord spoke to me and he said, she's right. And he said, but he's so kind. He said, would you like to know why, son? I'm not just trying to tell you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Would you like to know why? I said, why? He said, because you're worried. I said, what are you talking about? I'm not worried. And he started to teach me. He showed me something. See, that's what a, I could have paid $10,000 for a psychiatrist to show me if they might have never, they may not have ever figured it out. But also I'd be subjected to all their darkened thoughts. But the Holy Ghost can show you what 10 sessions or 50 sessions could show you, he could show you in a microsecond by the Spirit. Because he already knows the answer to everything in your life. Anything that's not quite working right, he knows. And so he said to me, he said, this comes from your daddy. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, well, first of all, your daddy was a workaholic, which I asked my mother and she said that he was. Your daddy was a workaholic, but he said it's not something that is just like come down from him. It's not necessarily that thing. It's not a demonic thing. You can get things that are demonic coming down the line, that you are broken if you apply the blood of Jesus. But if you don't, that stuff like Dr. Dufresne's parent mother was alcoholic, that thing tried to come on him, but it's severed by the blood of Jesus. I'm saying demons can come down, but just work ethics and stuff, measure of them in your personality can be transferred from parent to child. But it's not, if it's not demonic, you can't really just say, oh, I got that from my dad. I, I'm not a, maybe you can, but I'm not a big fan of that. Just because he was a workaholic doesn't automatically mean I am. Do you understand? And it's not a demonic thing. The workaholic is not a demonic thing. But he started saying he was a workaholic, but that, that's not what I'm talking about, he said to me. He said he was, he said, but he taught you as a child, he taught you that if you don't work, you don't eat. Now he said that is a Bible verse and my dad's not even saved. But the unsaved quote in the Bible verse. But he would teach me when I'd go to his house and we would sit there on his couch in his den watching golf. I've watched more golf than the people that play golf have even played. That's why I've never watched it again since because I'm boycotting it. Because I watched it so much with him because that's what he likes. So that's what we did. But as we'd sit there watching the golf, he'd talk to me about work ethics. He'd talk because he was a multimillionaire. Okay, he was very wealthy. He was on the board of the Toronto, the, 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 the Toronto Stock Exchange Board of Directors. He was, he was a, what you would consider in the business world a high success. And so he would talk to me about things of life and about work ethic and about how to succeed. And he, that's his daddy's way of doing it. But, I, but see, I didn't realize that Jenny at the time, but what he was really, what he was, what he was instilling in me was if you don't work, and if you don't work as hard as you can, you will fail. Now there's a measure of truth to that, is there not? You can't be lazy. You can't be lazy. But something was put in me in an unhealthy way. It's, not, it's a good thing to have a good work ethic, but it's a not, not a good thing to be afraid. And something, a fear came into me by his words, and he didn't mean it. He was not trying to make me afraid. He wanted me to be a success. And he had seen too many people fail because of laziness, because of distraction. He wants me to be a success. His heart's right. But I noticed that the Holy Ghost revealed to me as the fear came into you. And, and the sense of work, if I don't work, there'll be failure. And so there's a, dri a dri you're driven. You have to do this because you're afraid to fail. Do you understand? Are you with me? And then he said something else to me. He said, now that's part A, but he said, there's another part. He said, because you're that, 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 that parent figure that you had that as a child, that you, in your own simplistic way, that was your safety. Because he left you. Because he left, and the other two left as well. There was a sense of abandonment, 
about, I have to do this all myself now because daddy's not here and daddy's money is not here. And nobody's going to bail me out if I fail. So not only do I feel completely alone, but I also have had something instilled, a fear of failure unless there is a massive driving work ethic. So I have a driving work ethic, which is unbalanced and unsound. Plus I have a fear because I feel alone. And then the devil would whisper to me, see, he knows exactly what you're going through. And he will help you to fail. And so a thought would come and whisper to me, you don't have university. Now my dad was willing to offer to pay me to go to Harvard, like pay to go for me to go to Harvard. And the Holy Ghost said, don't go. I don't know if I would have got in or not, but he, was, he had a lot of money. He said, you can go to any Ivy League school you want in the world. You can go to Europe. You can go anywhere you want. I just want you to get, uh, if you want to even do religion, I don't think you should. But if that's really what you want to do, that's what your mother's brainwashed you to do. That's what he would always say. And I said, no, she didn't brainwash me. That's what I want to do. Well, I can't understand. That's a bunch of nonsense. And you'll be broke the rest of your life. And you'll never be able to afford a suit. And you'll never be able to afford a nice car. But and you anywhere, at least if you're going to be in this stupid religion, at least go and get a PhD from Harvard because somebody will hire you if you've got Harvard beside your name. But the Lord said, don't go. I want you to go to an unaccredited Bible school that nobody recognizes. So, of course, he flipped out. So I did that. And then after that, I, I just get, but, but the, see, the devil knows see, I was obeying the plan of God because God didn't want me to put confidence in the flesh. He wanted me to rely on him. But natural people can't understand spiritual things. They're not discerned for that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So then they'll persecute you, even though they're trying to help you, they'll still persecute you. So this thought of this fear of work or failure, plus I'm totally alone. I don't have a parent. I got my mom here, but my mom was, you know, just trying to make ends meet. She didn't have an inheritance or a lot of money to bail me out if I failed. So there's nobody to help me. Plus, I've got this fear that if I don't work hard, I will fail because he instilled that and now he's gone and now I'm totally alone. And now the devil's whispering and saying, you don't even have an education. You turned down Harvard. Then he offered me to come and work for him and he virtually guaranteed me, if you work hard in a few years, I'll guarantee that you make half a million dollars a year. He guaranteed me that. He said, now you come and work for me. And you sell, because he did investment stuff, but uh, real estate investment, but more like shopping malls, not houses. Mm -hmm. So he did large investment properties. And you make big money on that. And he says, now all the people underneath me, they're all making 700, 800, 900, a million dollars a year. He, and those were his team, the people under him. And he says, now you come and you work hard. I won't guarantee you that up front, but you work hard. You work 14 hours a day like I've done for 35 years. 14 hours a day for 35 years. You work that, many times six days a week. You work that, you work hard, I guarantee you, I'll make sure that you have a good life. And the Holy Ghost said, don't take it. So I said, Daddy, I'm not gonna go to Harvard. I'm not gonna take your, I'm not gonna come work for you. I'm gonna go to an unaccredited Bible school. And I'm gonna go and preach the gospel. And if I have to live in a gutter, I'll live in a gutter, but I promise you I won't have to live in a gutter because God's with me. And I know you tell me that I'll never have a suit and I'll never have a car, but I don't know how, but God's going to do it somehow. He's going to help me. And I didn't even understand faith the way I did now. I didn't even understand faith back then the way I did now. I just knew that I have to trust God. For whatever that meant, I have to trust God. But I'm telling you, there was a lot of uh, shakiness on the inside because uh, I've got those words that I'm, gonna, I'm never going to amount to anything. And I've turned down great opportunities that the devil's reminding me of constantly. Oh my God, like I've, I've, I've given up my safety net. Do you understand? Yeah. Education is great, but it's also a safety net. Because if you ever get fired, if you've got education, you can get another job. Do you understand? But you can't if you don't have the education. That's why I always encourage people to get educated unless God specifically tells you not to. You better get educated because in this world, you can't even get a job as a manager at Walmart without a university degree. 
But unless God tells you not to, then obey him because you better obey him or you'll give an account. He told me not to. I was willing to, he told me not to. So that's different because he wanted to train me that he could be what I needed and that the world was not the source. But in many people, if you're not in the full-time ministry, the world is a measure of how God's gonna bless you. And so you have to jump to their tomb to him. So I'm a unique case. Don't take me and imitate that. Get educated, but God told me not to. So the devil's working with that. Plus I've got this fear that if I don't work hard, I'm gonna starve. And I've got the words that I'll never amount to anything. And I've got a sense of I'm completely alone. And the Lord started teaching me and said, son, there has been, and that's why that workaholic thing was the result out of fear. But the Lord started to show me, son, all of that is because you're afraid. It's all based on fear. What is worry? It's based on fear. Feeling like I'm not going to mount anything is based in fear. Being a thinking that I'll never have a, a nice car to drive, that's based in fear. Uh, the, oh, I've lost my safety nets, that's based in fear. If I don't work like a dog, I'm going to starve. That sounds good, but it's based in fear. Do you understand? I'm totally alone. If I, if I don't make this work, nobody is going to bail me out. Because daddy and all his money ain't around anymore. He has basically disagreed with my life decisions and has told me I'm on my own. Didn't, didn't, didn't uh, like, what, what's that word when you no longer somebody's father? Disown. He didn't disown me, but he basically said, I'm not helping you. You're on your own. Now, he had helped me a lot over the years, even when we first got married. But basically, he said, you won't listen to me. You want to do this religion thing. Don't ever come to me for help. He actually said to me, don't ever ask me for another dollar for the rest of your life, because the answer will be no. So I know he's gone. Emotionally, he's not there anyway most of the time. And, and he's, he tried his best, but he didn't really know how to love, because his dad didn't know how to love him. So that goes down the generation. So he doesn't really know how to express love. And, 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 I'm, and, and he's, 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 I still see him once in a while and you know, we, we have a good relationship, but I'm saying the help, if I, were to ha- if I were to hit bad times, I can't go to him. And mom's just trying to make ends meet, so I can't go to her. I have no uncles or aunts to go to. I have my, well, my grandparents are dead. I, I have, there's nobody. There's absolutely nobody that I can go to. And so there's, there's a sense of I'm completely alone. Now that's rooted in fear. The reality is I am alone, but I'm not alone because I have that top word there. But you see, the devil won't ever remind you that you've got a covenant. He'll just remind you that you're alone. He'll remind you that you're going to fail if you don't become an overworking machine. He'll remind you that, yes, those words are true, and you'll never amount to anything or have nice things. And you've given up your education and your safety net, so you're an idiot on top of everything else. And he just will put that on you, put that on you. And what it does is it builds walls up in your heart. You don't even know what's happening, but walls start to form because you're trying to protect yourself from these certain things. So you're protecting yourself. And that's why a lot of people don't let people into their lives because they're, they're, they're so, they've been so hurt that they don't want anybody to touch that raw part. So they'll build a wall up so that nobody can get in because as long as nobody touches that, they won't get hurt. Do you understand? That's not the spiritual life. The Lord never authored those walls, but pain and worry and fear authored those walls. And so the Lord began to deal with me. Son, That's why you do this. That's why you work, because it's rooted in fear. That's why you feel alone, because it's rooted in fear. What is fear? Ultimately, fear is, I'm afraid of something. Why? If I understood covenant, I wouldn't be afraid. But because I feel like I'm alone in this, I've got to fight tooth, nail, and claw. That produces a sense of, I'm alone, I'm afraid, I'm worried, and I'm going to hold on by the skin of my teeth and by the, my, my fingernails and pray to God. But, you know, let's just make our quick confession. Oh, the Lord despises all my needs according to his riches and glory. <laughs> oh, the Lord despises all my riches and glory. You don't even mean it. You don't even believe it. You, you're just spouting a word. Because in your heart, you're holding on by your fingernails like the cat poster. You're holding on like the cat. You're just barely hanging on. And you can say all you want, but in your heart, there's something that's not peaceful. There's something that is a root of deep concern and deep fear. And you can fake it to everybody else. And a lot of people will buy your fake, but the Holy Ghost, he knows all. And he don't even half the time know why you are the way you are. 
If you're, if you're open-hearted, you'll listen to me tonight. A lot of times you don't even know why you are the way you are. I'm telling you personal examples, but it's not for you to look at me. It's for you to look at yourself. A lot of times you don't know why you act the way you act. Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I respond so quickly in anger? Or I respond, I'm, I'm so shy and I'm afraid of everybody. And you know, you just chalk it up to, well, I'm an introvert. It could be that or it could be something else. Why do I can never go to a party? Well, it's not normal not to be able to socialize with people, but there's reasons why. You can live like that your whole life or you can go to the counselor. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great counselor. Holy Ghost, I'm not exactly even sure why I am the way I am, but I thank you, my God, the world doesn't have any answers. Can you imagine how lonely they must feel? That's why psychiatrists have a job. But Lord, I'm not alone. I've got you living on the inside of me. So I pour myself out to you, Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, I'm not quite sure why I do this, why I say these words, why I feel this way. As far back as I can remember, it's been a part of me. But I don't even know where it comes from. I'm asking you to pull back the layers and to help me. I'm asking you to fix me. I'm asking you to pour in the oil and the wine and heal me where I need to be healed. And if I need to forgive somebody else, I need you to show me so that I can do that action. If I'm wrong in an area, I will repent for that area. But I'm asking you to help me because I don't want to live a life in fear. You may call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, the root of it is fear. I don't want to live a life where I'm feeling alone all the time and where I'm worried about everything all the time. Because, Father, I have a covenant with you. That means, if I understand that word, it means that you're with me. That means I'm, I may feel alone and somebody may have told me that I'm alone and the devil may have assaulted me that I'm alone, but it's not true because God, it's not just a nice little statement that people make or that a preacher makes. It's actually real and I truly believe it. You are with me. You are with me. You stand with me. You walk with me. You guide my decisions. You are with me. I am not alone. I am I am not alone. My God is with me in covenant. He will help me. I am not alone. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> so it's one thing to know he's with you and that will affect a lot of things in your future in a good way. But if you don't let the Holy Ghost pull back the layers and teach you why you are the way you are, you'll just keep repeating that behavior. And then this word won't really ever mean what it could mean to you because when he pulls back and shows you where the problem root is and he fixes that, now you're balanced and you're more whole. Now this revelation that I'm not alone and God's with me is so much sweeter and so much brighter and so much bigger in your heart. But you got to talk to God. You got to have an honest heart. You, you got to have an honest heart. I think the greatest failure of people, can I be honest with you? Because I know a lot of ministers and I know a lot of people, I'm not going to say names, but I'm telling you what I've learned, what I've observed for 29 years. The greatest failure of people, in my opinion, is not sin or this or anything else. The greatest failure is a lack of self-assessment. That is the greatest failure that I notice in other pastors. They do not self-assess. They just keep going. I know pastors, I mean, they can barely hug you. They're so jittery. They're so nervous and abused and hurt and wounded and afraid that somebody will think that they're being sexual with you so they can't even hug you properly. I know pastors that they can't hold a conversation with you because they're so insecure and they so, have, no, have no development of social graces and skills. That you can't, and they're a pastor for goodness sakes. How do they pastor and they can't even have a conversation with you? And then there's others. I'm just talking about those are hindrances to life and to meaningful relationships. Then there's others that are in, not just pastors, but people I know. They're in anger. They've been angry all their life. And they'll continue being in angry to the grave. Others, they're in sexual sin. They've tried everything under the sun. But they're still doing sexual sin. And they'll probably do it to their grave. You know why? The greatest failure, a lack of self-assessment. I didn't say condemnation. I said self-assessment. When you kneel down before God, and if you haven't done it, you are long overdue. Kneel down before God without anybody around, without any distractions. Turn everything off. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I ask the great Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of me. You called him my counselor. You called him my helper. You called him my guide. 
You called him the one that is my paraclete, the one that stands with me and never leaves me. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you as my great counselor, my great psychiatrist. I'm asking you, I'm asking you I'm, to pull back the layers and I'm asking you to start to reveal to me why I do this particular thing. Now, that means you have to recognize that you're doing something or feeling something or saying something or thinking something that's not healthy. If you don't self-assess that your behavior amongst other people or by yourself or with your mate, or if you don't self-assess something's wrong, what do you have to go before God with? You have to self-assess. Something's not normal here. Why do I do all this thing all the time? What, why am I in this rut all the time? You may not have the answer, but at least figure out where the problem is so you can go and say, Father, Holy Ghost, I need you to help me. I need you to heal me. I need you to pull back the layers. Amen. You say, but pastor, I don't think there's anything wrong. Genuinely, not pridefully. I don't think there's anything wrong. Well, you, you still got the same Holy Ghost. So if you don't have something specific to tell him, like I knew there was something because my wife told me how I was acting. So I had something to present to him. She's saying this. I don't really agree with her. But if there's any truth to it, show me. And he showed me. But I had to self-assess with an honest heart. But if you don't know, nobody's told you, but you just want to do this exercise anyway, you may not have anything to tell God, but you can always come and say, Holy Spirit, I don't think there's anything wrong. But if there is something, and knowing me, there's probably something, but maybe I just don't notice it. I'm asking you to just, I'm just going to lay before you. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'm going to ask you to start to reveal it to me. Now, he may not talk to you that day. He may not talk to you the next day. But I promise you, over time, something will start bubbling up, and he'll start pointing out. He may use somebody else to point it out, which you may not like. Or he may talk to you directly. Or you may just notice a behavior that you never noticed before. But if you'll pray in the Spirit, asking God to reveal, you'll start to notice things that you never noticed before. And then he'll say, now, son, you've got something on your list that you need to fix. Because I've revealed it to you. You didn't even know it but I showed it to you now take that thing and say Holy Spirit my great counselor I'm gonna pray in tongues about this See, this is what people don't understand the way you get counseling from God is you pray in tongues and you quote the word but you pray in tongues more Father, I go to you about this abandonment feeling, about this fear of workaholicness and all the stuff. I don't even know, understand it. But I go to you about it and I start to pray. Now I present it to you and I know there's something I need to fix, but I don't even know how to fix it. I don't even know where it's from. I'm just confused. So I'm asking you to talk. I'm asking you to reveal. At least I know what's on the list. A lot of people don't even know what's on their list. But I've got something that I need fixing. And pray three or four hours in tongues. That's because you're too lazy. You can be on social media for five hours and not blink, but you ask you to pray in tongues for an hour. Oh my God, you've shot the moon. It just shows how backslidden we are. Why don't you get on your knees and fast a little bit and pray? And when you can't pray no more, get up and go and do something and then come back later that day and pray again. Why don't you take a day off work, not to go and do shopping, but to go before God and fast and pray? Did you ever think about taking a vacation day to fast and pray? See, we don't think this way. We think vacation has to be fun, but what you need is time with God. That's, he's the counselor, and he'll fix things that no psychiatrist can fix. And if you'll go before him and seek him and not expect him to answer you that day, but just pray. Just begin to pray it out. Pray it out. Remember, the answer's in here. The answer's in here. These things pray out with language the Spirit teaches. Pray it out. I don't understand this abandonment. I don't understand this fear and this workaholism. But you do. I pray out the answer about this in the Spirit. And I start to pray now because I did my part. He has the right. To say, Craig, I can reveal to you the mystery that you have prayed. 1 Corinthians 14.2. I can reveal, 14.2 and 4. I can reveal to you the mystery that you have prayed. This is why you feel this way. This is why. I didn't know where it came from. came from, Daddy. Remember when you were watching golf? Remember what he told you? I didn't, I didn't even remember that. Oh, Lord, I do not remember it now. You see, something came into you and it wasn't good. It's fear. Remember that time? He'll take you, take you to another time. You'll remember it. Remember when he said that to you about the suit and the car? Something came into you. It's called fear. Remember when he left you? Do you remember that feeling? He takes you right back to it. Remember that? That's fear, son. That's why you're acting this way now. Because of fear. Because you're worried that you're going to fail. But I'm with you, son. I'm with you. Now that I've helped you, 
I've revealed to you. I'm pulling the layers and I'm healing you. Now I want you to start to confess. Now call things that be not as though they are. Start to say now, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a workaholic. Lord, I thank you that I can enjoy my life. I thank you that I won't fail. I thank you that, I, that I'm not alone, that, that if something does go wrong, I don't need a natural person to bail me out because I've got you and you're my covenant God and you will never leave me nor forsake me. Lord, I confess that I'm healthy and I'm balanced and I'm sound and I'm healed in my emotions and in the way I feel and the way I think and the way I treat my job, the way I treat my staff, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids. You start to, now you start to confess and speak the word and then keep praying in the spirit, but speak the word, confess now. And you'll see, might not happen overnight, but you'll see your behavior will start to turn. Yes. Amen. People live the way they are for the rest of their life, Taylor, most people. I'm talking about Christians. Most Christians never change. Never change. Never change. People that are overweight, I can say it because I know what that feels like. They, they, they'll stay like that for the rest of their life. And it's not about finding the right diet. It's about doing what I'm saying. It's about going before God and saying, Father, something's out of balance. And I'm not really sure why. And I don't understand it. And I'm hurting because of it. But Holy Spirit, you won't make fun of me. You won't judge me. But you will. You'll help me. You'll heal me from this. Something's wrong with my thinking about this. I'm not really sure what, but you're going to help me. I'm doing that in lots of areas of my life because I have more than one area that I need God to fix. Because I'm a human being just like you. I've got a lot of areas that he has fixed. But I've got areas that he hasn't yet fixed. But unless I self-assess and go before him, all I'm going to do is live afraid, worried, tormented, bound, concerned. Do you understand? I don't know. I don't know. This is not, I haven't even started my notes. I have some stuff about worry that I need to share with you from the Bible. But as soon as I started to think about going to my notes, I heard the Holy Ghost say, tell your testimony, son, about your dad. Now, when he says that, I know what he means because that's the only testimony I have about my dad. Because the root of all of that was worry. I haven't really got to where I wanted to go. It didn't go the direction I wanted it to go because I had some verses I wanted to read you. But I guess the Holy Ghost wanted that, maybe the testimony, the transparency, the whatever this is called, this thing tonight that I've done, whatever this is, the anointing was on it. It was just a different flow. I guess he wanted you to hear that. I guess he wanted you to realize that every human being, every human being, you know, Dr. Dufresne, my precious spiritual father, as mighty as he was, and as, as sweet as he was, as powerful, the miracles, the healings, all the times Jesus appeared to him, all the times angels appeared to him. I mean, just a mighty man of the spirit. You know, he still said to me when I was with him on the tour in Canada, he was sitting where the guys were shopping and he was sitting on a bench by himself. And I went up to him and I sat beside him and I said, how you doing, dad? He looked at me and he said, I miss, I miss Nancy so much. He said, I'm so lonely. And I, I put my arm around him. I didn't know what else to do. I put my arm around him and I said, I, I'm, I understand, Dad. I understand. I said, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Anything you need. I said, you want me to fly past Nancy in? I'll pay for it out of my own money. Anything I can do, what can I help you with? And when I told Pastor that years later, I, I never told her that, but I told her that years later that he, had, that he had said that and it really touched her heart because she said, you know, Ed, you know, it's nothing wrong with missing somebody, but it was more than just missing her. There was, an, there was a loneliness that was in him that the devil tormented him about. And she said, I, 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 I prayed for him and, I, and I, we, I, we just tried all that we knew, but he, he, there was an area that he never quite got victory in with that loneliness. Now you see, even a mighty man of God like that can have areas that nobody else sees. And I'm saying this very cautiously because I would never dishonor him. Do you understand? I'm not in any way trying to dishonor him. I'm trying to show you the humanity of ministers that even mighty men of God have areas that they, that they need God to help. Nothing wrong with being lonely. You don't always need healing because you miss somebody. Missing somebody is missing somebody. But when there's a deep sense of loneliness and you're feeling alone, 
Th that's not how God intended us to live. There's something, there's something not right there. And healing is required to pull that out and put something healthy in. But every person, no matter whether you're the big minister or whether you're not, every person has to go before God and say, Father, I I I'm struggling with this and I need you to help. Do you understand? Uh, you understand my heart when I talk about my spiritual father. In no way am I trying to make it seem like he didn't have, like he was a failure in that area. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying even him, to the end of his life, he had areas in his life that he was working on, that he was dealing with. Do you understand? Praise God. And so that, that in, in a weird way, it kind of encouraged me because sometimes you see these men as though they're superhuman. And there's no chink in their armor. And I don't want there to be a chink in his armor. I don't want him to hurt. I want him to be the superhuman. But every now and then when you see that they're human and that they're dealing with things too and that they haven't, they, sometimes they need healing too in areas, it makes, makes you realize that everybody's like this. Kenneth Hagin included, everybody's like this. Everybody has needs. Everybody has areas in their life. Now, the further you go in God and the further you walk in the Spirit, the less those areas number because God over time has fixed and healed and fixed and healed and fixed and healed. But, but even if you've got a long list of victories, there's always usually until we go home to be with Jesus, maybe there's an occasional person that has nothing left on their list. That would be great. But I'm saying in the vast majority of cases, most of us, even at the end of our life, like doctor, he might have only had one or two things, but he was still getting healing in one or two things. He was still getting victory in one or two things. Do you understand? Because every human has areas that something's not functioning right in our soul realm. Body is much simpler. There's just something wrong. Jesus has healed us already. We receive that. I'm talking about the soul realm, the emotional realm, the deep areas of the heart, which affects the body as well. But I'm talking about those areas. Everybody has areas. And not every time, but a lot of times, a lot of times, the root comes back to fear. Fear and worry. Not every time. But in many times it does. That is a very common denominator in people's lives. It was with me. Do you understand? I don't know if loneliness is a root of fear, but I think it's probably got something to do with that. Because feeling alone, feeling isolated, that, that's, that's something to do with feeling that, I don't know what, where that comes from, but I know it's not God. And it helped me to know that Dr. Dufresne was still, God was still working on him because it let me know he's working on me, but let me know that no matter how far I get, he'll always be working on me. I never really arrive. Nobody ever really arrives. We arrive when we see Jesus. But while we're breathing this air and while we've got this natural body, we're constantly being formed, we're being transformed in the image of Jesus and he's fixing us constantly. You can speed that process up dramatically if you would just listen to your spouse. I'm not joking you. I'm being very serious because God gives spouses to see things that we don't see. And so many are so arrogant and so d dominating and so, and I mean male and female, and they're so, don't talk to me, and they're so prickly, they've got so many walls, they've got so many walls up, that when their spouse who knows them more intimately than any other human being says, honey, this is an issue, they reject it. And what you've rejected is God has put somebody in your life with insight into you that nobody else has insight. Why don't you humble yourself and maybe, maybe you don't listen fully, but why don't you at least take it to the Lord? And if you don't have a spouse, then that's why you have close friends. And if you don't have close friends, that's why you have other family members. And if you don't have other friends, because I know some people are going, I don't have a spouse, I don't have any friends, and I don't have any family, so I guess this doesn't apply to me. If all of that is the case, and you are totally alone, and you've got nobody, and even in the church, you've got nobody, and in your family, nobody, and you've got no brothers and sisters, and you've got no, you've got no spouse, and you're totally alone, you still have the Holy Ghost and if you go and if nobody is pointing it out and you're not self-aware enough to realize there's a problem go and kneel down Holy Ghost I pour myself out I think I'm perfect nobody is around to tell me any different I am perfect because nobody says anything else but I still come to you I lay my life before you and I pray in the Holy Ghost and if there's anything that's not functioning if the pistons aren't firing right in some area of my soul realm if I'm not thinking right if there's a hurt a pain a fear a worry if there's something not right I ask you to reveal it to me I pray out the mystery now show me oh God
And you pray, I guarantee you, the list will start to do, he'll, it will be so many things, it will start with the number one. When God gives you a numbered list, watch out, because it means he couldn't tell you just a couple things, because he knows there's so many, he has to number them. So you thought you were so perfect because you got no friends and nobody's saying anything, but first thing on the list is probably going to be why you don't have any friends. <laughs> The second thing be why you can't lose weight. The third is why you have to take those sleeping pills all the time. I'm serious. There'll be a list, even though you think you don't have a list. But you'll never, he'll never talk to you if you don't ask him. Dad Hagen always said, you don't ask God, he won't talk. Rarely does he come to you without you asking him. He can, he rarely does. You have to ask him. So if you never self-assess, and ask him, even if you don't have a list, what, Lord, what, 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 what? And if you have something, put that on the altar and then say, Father, that's probably one of many. So the others I'm not aware of, show me. And I just, I just sit before you and pray out the mysteries in the spirit because I need you to help me. I want to be a healthy, balanced, emotionally stable, not prickly, not walled. I want to love people, have a healthy marriage, have a healthy life. I want to be a whole person. And I need the help of the counselor because I, I, things in my life have so polluted me. Words spoken. People abusing. Bosses saying things. Rejection here. Failure here. Cutting people, cutting me here. And you just, you're bombarded. And you don't know why things don't work right in your thought life. But the Holy Ghost knows every, he knows how to unknot that big ball. And he'll just start taking one strand at a time. Honey, fix this. Let me heal you on this. Start to confess this. Let me, let me pull that out of you. Help me. I'll help you. I'm telling you, it's the most wonderful thing. It's like going to therapy every day, but it's God therapy, not sitting on some person's couch, paying them money that they don't even deserve. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it, Rosita. Listen, they're not worthy to analyze my brain. That's right. They're full of devils. I don't give the right for a devil to analyze my brain. Do you know who I am? I'm a covenant man. My covenant is with God. Only one that gets to analyze my brain is the Holy Ghost and her. You all better stop analyzing my brain. You don't have the right to. Just, you got a problem about me? Come talk to Jenny. We'll actually set up a new email. Problems with Pastor Craig at promiseoflife.ca. Just email that. My wife will read it and she'll just talk to me about it. But if you don't have a, just, just, she, she can analyze it. The Holy Ghost can analyze it. And the same with you. Nobody should be coming and trying to whine at you and hurt you and tell you this and tell you that. Unless they have your true heart trust. They got no business talking to you about how to fix your life. They got enough problems of their own. Tell them to mind their own backyard. But the one that you have true trust with, spouse or family member, listen to them. But beyond that, go to the Holy Ghost. He's here to help us. Heavenly Father, I, I had I, this one, a totally, it's on the same theme, but it's not the direction that I expected because I had another way going. But Lord, you obviously needed the people to hear tonight. I know the Holy Ghost was on this. And Lord, I, I know if they reach out and take this, it is health and life to their flesh, to their emotions, to their soul realm, and to their physical realm. You have health for them tonight. And you have help for them. If they take nothing from the sermon other than this statement, let them remember that the mighty Holy Spirit loves them more than they will ever love themselves, more than any other human being has the capacity to love them. He is inside them. He knows every intricacy of every phase and every strand of their soul, their spirit, and their body. And he is desperately desirous to help and to fix and to heal and to make whole. If we would just yield to him, he will fix things because that's his job. That's what he loves to do. He will lead us into all truth and show us things to come. He will fix and help and heal.
The Holy Spirit, I pray that for all those within the sound of my voice tonight that have heard this, maybe a bit of more of an unusual flow, an unusual focus, but Lord, it was authored by the Spirit. That means that you desired them to hear it. I pray that they would be attentive, stretching forth their ear and reach out and lay hold of this tonight, that they would take it aggressively and that they would be doers of the word and not hearers only, because if they hear only, they deceive themselves, the Bible says. Let them not walk out deceived. Let them be a doer of the word. Let them even before the night is over to find a quiet spot somewhere at home and just to begin to say, Father, this thing, I'm not sure why I feel this way. I'm not sure where the problem is, but I begin to pray it out in the spirit. Holy Ghost, I'm not really sure other areas. Maybe there's other areas that I'm not even aware of. I begin to pray it out in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me, heal me, make me whole. I want a full life. I don't want to be, I don't want things to go wrong. I don't want to think skewed about things. I don't want to think weird about things. I want to be right before you. I want to be perfectly whole and balanced, spirit, soul, and body. Help me to become that. It might take me months or years, but help me. I'm asking for your help. If you'll reach out and do that, I'm telling you, you'll see things start to turn. And because some of you with a pure heart tonight have received this word, you've taken it. You have a right for physical healing and even emotional healing, even as I've been preaching. Ah, thank you, Holy Ghost. That's why you said that tonight. I was under the assumption when I said that at the beginning of the service that it was physical healing and there are people that could be physically healed too. Ah, I didn't realize that you were more talking about the emotional side of healing because health to all their flesh includes their soul realm. And Lord, I thank you that you've even begun to heal people in their soul realm and in their emotional realm by the word tonight. Just listening to it has caused a healing to begin in many of them because they've reached out and they've laid hold of it. But now, Lord, let them not just let the healing start like in the service tonight. Let them help it continue by going home and being a doer of the word and beginning to pray out in the spirit these areas. So something has started in many of you tonight just by being here. But now don't let that, don't let that wane. Don't let that fire go out. Go home and begin to aggressively seek after God and pray out in the Holy Ghost. And what has started in the service will complete itself. If you'll be a doer of the word. Are you listening? What has started in the service in your soul will complete itself. If you'll go and be a doer of the word. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Glory to God.